Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study Podcast, and this is the Catholic Podcast, where we do a really in-depth exegesis of the Gospel reading for the day. And because today is a bit of a shorter episode, I just want to take a couple of minutes at the start of the episode to remind you of the different benefits that are available if you decide to support the ministry. So if you've benefited from this ministry, you think it's worth supporting, then please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. If you give $10 a month or more, you get access to all the bonus episodes of the podcast, uh, including parts of the Gospels which are never read as part of the lectionary. So there's those episodes available for you through Patreon. So if you do become a $10 or more a month supporter, once all those bonus episodes are released, you would have heard a verse-by-verse exegesis of the entire four Gospels. If you're willing to give $20 a month or more, and that would really help the ministry grow and plan then you can get access to audio recordings of catechesis sessions that I myself have done going through the catechism verse by verse. And if that's something you're interested in, if you want to learn your Catholic faith in a more rigorous, systematic way, there's no better way to do it than going through the catechism. And so those audio recordings uh, where I explore the catechism in a bit more depth are available to you if you become a supporter who gives $20 a month or more. And there's even more bonuses available if you do decide you want to contribute even more to the ministry. So thank you for your time. And now let's get into today's episode. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 8 verses 19 to 21. So here's today's passage. The mother and the brothers of Jesus came looking for him, but they could not get to him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside and want to see you. But he said in answer, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. So that's all there is for today's reading. Three short verses, but there's a lot of interesting things that come out of this. It's quite an interesting scene. A lot of people struggle with this uh, because Jesus seems quite dismissive of his family here. His family comes to visit him and he kind of dismisses them, it would seem. Luke's version that we're looking at today is a bit shorter than the other Gospels. So the other Gospels give us a bit more information about what's actually going on in the scene here. So what's the context? Jesus has been doing ministry in Galilee. He's been doing healings and giving parables to the crowds. And it would appear that Jesus is in a house here in Capernaum, probably his own house or possibly the house of Peter. So he's doing some teaching and healings in a house in Capernaum. So verse 19 here starts by mentioning the mother of Jesus. So we'll talk about the brother of Je- the brothers of Jesus and who they are, but let's start with the mother of Jesus, Mary here. A lot of times as Catholics, we're quite uncomfortable with this verse because we have here Mary being concerned about him, particularly if you look at Mark's version, the brothers and mother of Jesus are coming to get Jesus because they think he's crazy. So that might strike us as a bit uncomfortable as Catholics. So there's a couple of different ways of approaching this. Some Catholics have thought that Mary here... Uh, is just being dragged along by the brothers of Jesus, and she herself doesn't actually think she's crazy. So in that case, she's not voluntarily there, and she should be separated out from the brothers of Jesus. And that's certainly possible. But we also want to explore, is it possible that Mary is genuinely concerned about Jesus? I think as Catholics, we, we need to be open to this possibility. In Luke's gospel, there's a sort of a development in Mary's knowledge. Now, certainly theologians are agreed that Mary had the fullness of grace, 
but there's some dispute amongst theologians about what this means in terms of her knowledge. If you look at Mary's knowledge in the gospel, uh, the angel Gabriel reveals some things to her in terms of the messianic plan and that she will be the mother of the Son of God. By the time she meets Elizabeth, she learns that Jesus is God, so certainly she knows that she is the mother of God. But I don't think we have to say she knows all that that would entail in terms of Jesus' ministry. She certainly doesn't know the kind of conflict that he'd get involved with, with the Jewish leaders, that was not part of the Jewish expectation at the time. They thought the Messiah and the Jewish leaders would get along pretty well. And think about it. In Luke's gospel, we have the encounter where uh, Jesus and uh, Mary and Joseph find the young Jesus in the temple, and they did not expect that. They were quite concerned when they found him. So I think it's quite reasonable. It's within Catholic uh, thinking here to say that Mary is genuinely concerned about Jesus at this point in the ministry. Now, certainly by the time she gets to the cross, she has a much more greater understanding of what Jesus' suffering uh, messiahship would look like and the kind of ministry uh, he had to have. But we need to be open to the possibility that she didn't expect some aspects of his uh, ministry to go the, the way that they did. So that's one way of thinking about it. And as we'll see by the end of the passage, when we revisit Mary's role in this, we'll see that Mary here is actually a model of a true disciple of Jesus. And we see here the brothers of Jesus, or more literally, his brethren. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you probably have a rough idea of what is going to come next here. Who are these brothers of Jesus? The word in Greek is adelphos, for brethren. And in that culture, and in fact a lot of Middle Eastern cultures, it doesn't just mean direct brothers. It can mean any sort of relative, basically. We see that in the Old Testament, the same word is used for extended relatives. And in the time of Jesus, the word was used of extended relatives. It was actually used quite loosely. And of course, there's some cultures today where that's still the case. They'll refer to people in their community as uncle or cousin, even though they're not literally that. We know from the other Gospels that some of his sisters are there as well. So his brothers and sisters... So who are these brothers and sisters of Jesus? They're mentioned several times in the New Testament, but we're never given a complete explanation of who their mother and father are. So we have to kind of piece it together from various verses. But I think we can get a pretty good idea of who they might be. Now, given that Jesus gives his mother to John at the cross, remember that scene where he says, behold your mother, behold your son? That would strongly suggest that Mary does not actually have any children of her own. Otherwise, why does Jesus give John uh, to Mary? Since the early church believed that to be the case, that Mary doesn't have any children, and they unanimously believe that Mary remained a virgin her entire life, then these brethren and s- brothers and sisters of Jesus who visit him here, they can't be children of Mary. I think the Gospels are pretty clear that they're not Mary's own children. Now, Joseph has apparently died by this point, so Mary is probably living with some other relatives. According to Mark, Mary lives in Nazareth still, and also some of Mary's relatives live in Nazareth. These brothers and sisters of Jesus also live in Nazareth. One explanation of that would be they're Mary's children. That's why they live in Nazareth. However, we've established that they're probably not Mary's children, based on other information. So they're other close relatives of Mary that live with her in Nazareth. They have some pretty authoritative behavior here, particularly in Mark's version of this story that we're reading today. They are pretty um, demanding of Jesus, and that might suggest that they are older brothers and sisters of Jesus. 
And if that's the case, if they're older than Jesus, well, then they're definitely not Mary and Joseph's children because they wouldn't be older than Jesus then. Some uh, people in Catholic tradition have suggested that these brothers and sisters of Jesus may be children of Joseph from a previous marriage. There is a tradition that Joseph was married before he married Mary, but his wife died. That's possible. That's a legitimate opinion. There's another explanation that I think makes a little more sense. If you look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 55, we actually learn some of the names of the brothers of Jesus here. So there's James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And we also know from later in Matthew's gospel that these four boys are not direct brothers of Jesus. So they're not his full siblings. And if you look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 56, here's how we know. That verse says that these boys, particularly James and Joseph, actually come from a different woman, a different mother. Now, that woman's name is Mary, but it's actually listed as a separate woman compared to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So these boys come from a different mother. Now, many in the early church believed that this other woman, this other Mary, might actually be a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And that makes sense because Mary is a pretty common name. It might even be Mary's sister, possibly. So if that's the case then the brothers and sisters of Jesus here that are visiting him him in uh, Capernaum, they're roughly Jesus' cousins. They are the children of a woman named Mary, who is a close relative of the mother of Jesus. And I think that's the best explanation. That makes the best sense of all the biblical data we have. So having said that, they come looking for him in Capernaum, and they're from Nazareth. So it's a 20-mile journey to Capernaum. They've probably been traveling all day to come and find him but they could not get to him because of the crowd. So they're waiting outside the house in Capernaum, but the crowd is too dense for them to get in, so they can't see him. Why do they want to see him? Well, Mark actually tells us why they've come to visit him. By this point, Jesus' relatives in Nazareth hear about Jesus and his ministry in Capernaum. And in particular, his relatives decide that he's out of his mind. It actually says that. If you look at Mark chapter 3, verse 21... His brothers and sisters decide that Jesus must be out of his mind. And the cultural context is really important here. Family obligations were very strong in that culture. Any action by an individual in the family was seen as a reflection on the whole family. So any breach of family honor would result in severe discipline for that child. So from the perspective of Jesus' brothers and sisters, Jesus should be back in Nazareth being a carpenter, rather than attracting crowds and arousing the anger of the authorities. They're genuinely worried about how Jesus is giving them a bad family name. So from what they can understand, his wonder-working activity is evidence of mental imbalance. They think he's out of his mind. They don't understand that he really is the Messiah whose mind is inspired by God. Since Joseph is probably no longer alive by this point, Jesus' older relatives would have felt that Jesus was under their charge, so they set out to find him and to stop him from doing what he's doing. So they set out for Capernaum. They can't get in, though, because of the crowd. And Jesus now gets told in verse 20, your mother and brothers are standing outside and want to see you. So they sent someone in to squeeze through the crowd to speak to Jesus, and this person says, your mother and brothers are standing outside. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't see his family here. He can't see them. He just gets word that they're outside. Verse 21, Jesus said in answer. Now, it's important for this next bit to understand Jesus is not pretending to not to know his biological relatives. He's not denying that these are his real relatives. 
but he just uses this as a teaching opportunity to talk about a more deeper family of God that exists. And here's what he says. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Or more literally there in Greek, those who hear the word of God and do it. So Jesus' teaching here is that anyone who does the will of God, that's the prerequisite, can be considered to be part of the family of Jesus and God. Now, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? It's not just a nice sentiment. You might hear people say, oh, we're part of God's family, and that sounds nice and fluffy. But actually, Jesus teaches that here. Not only is Jesus establishing a kingdom of God, he's establishing a new family of God. He actually says, my brother and my mother are those who follow God's word. So Jesus is forming a new family here. Now, notice who isn't listed in the family of God. There's no father in the family of God, as in you can't be the father in the family of God. That might be deliberate. That might imply that there already is a father in the family of God. And I think that is actually implied there by Jesus. There's already a a father figure, which is God. And then there's Jesus who has brothers and sisters, and we're called to be his brothers and sisters in that family of God. Now, in Matthew and Mark's version of, of this story, Jesus gestures to his disciples here. He says, here are my brothers and my mother. So he's thinking particularly of his current disciples, but this teaching still applies to anyone in the world even today. Jesus has come to reveal what God's will really is, and anyone who follows that can be part of God's family. In fact, earlier in Luke, Jesus stressed the importance of not just hearing and acting on God's words, but actually on his own words. If you look at Luke 6 verse 47, Jesus says, you need to follow my words. And that would suggest that Jesus has divine authority to reveal what God's will is. Now, interestingly, if you look at Matthew's version of the same account, that we're doing a lot of comparisons here with the other Gospels, because I think there's a lot of interesting things that can be learned here, particularly this. Matthew's version of Jesus' words here. Well, actually, let's look at Luke's version. So, in Luke's version, Jesus here says... My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Matthew's version of this phrase is, My mother and my brothers are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So notice that in one version we have anyone who hears the word of God, and in Matthew's version we have anyone who does the will of my Father. So if we put the two gospel accounts together, the word of God is equivalent to the will of God. Isn't that interesting? The word of God and the will of God are the same according to Jesus and the gospel authors. And I think that's an important theological principle. The word of God is not just limited to the Bible. The word of God is whatever the will of God is. And that, if you can keep that principle in mind, it will help you understand a lot of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament. Because when he says, basically, uh, you know, in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God. And if that means the will of God, it helps us make a bit more sense of the parable. So those who hear the will of God and put it into practice. So Jesus' overall meaning here in this interesting phrase is that his obligations to his true spiritual family override his obligations to his natural biological family. Now, that would be shocking in that culture to say that this sort of fake spiritual family, or at least that's how they would have seen it, is more important than one's own actual biological family. That's scandalous because they had such strong emphasis on biological family ties. But Jesus here says, even the closest of human bonds, even family bonds, take second place to the kingdom of God. 
And this is something Jesus develops in his later teachings. If you look at chapter 12, chapter 18, Jesus goes on to say that if you abandon your family for the sake of the kingdom of God, you will have a great reward. So Jesus has more to say about family ties later on. It's important to recognize that Jesus is not dismissing his own family here completely. In fact, if there was no big crowd on this particular occasion, things would have been quite different. But since there's so many people there and he's in the middle of teaching and healing, he basically says, right now I'm needed here. It's more important that he keeps teaching rather than seeing his biological family right at that point. Now, we should note, however, that it's not said that he refused to see them. The teaching, the gospel authors here don't say Jesus refused to see his family. It's just that he used this moment as a teaching opportunity. Presumably, he would have continued teaching, and then later in the day, he would have caught up with his family who had come all the way to see him. So we should assume that he did, in fact, catch up with them. And we know that later in the New Testament, many of his family did accept Jesus as the Messiah. So Acts chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 9, and Galatians 1 all mention how some of Jesus' family actually become believers. And what can we say about Mary here? A lot of Catholics are uncomfortable with Mary getting the wrong impression about Jesus. Well, in fact, if you think about the last thing Jesus says here, it doesn't actually undermine the role of Mary. It actually enhances her role. Remember what Jesus said, anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and my brother. Well, Mary certainly fits that criteria. She is a faithful disciple. In fact, she's the first one who obeys the will of the father and believes his word. You saw that earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter one, she hears the word of God and she submits to it. So not only is she the natural mother of Jesus, she's also the preeminent member of his family of disciples. Even if she doesn't fully grasp what's going on in this scene, she certainly does later. And so she's actually a great role model, a great example of what it means to follow the will of God. And so she's certainly part of the spiritual family of God. In fact, she has a very high place in the spiritual family of God. Now we're getting towards the end of Luke chapter 8. And if you look at your Bibles, you'll see there's a whole series of little stories at the end of Luke chapter 8 which comes straight after this. Now, they're never actually read in the lectionary, so you'll never get to hear these few stories uh, if you go to Mass throughout the year. So, in Luke chapter 8, we have Jesus calming the storm. Interestingly, Luke's version of that is never read at Mass. Uh, Jesus healing the Gerasene demoniac uh, with the the herd of pigs. That's also never read. The raising of Jairus' daughter, and the healing of the woman with the issue of blood. All of those are at the end of Luke chapter 8, and they're not read as part of the normal liturgical cycle. So if you want to hear an exegesis of those parts of Luke chapter 8, then they'll be covered as bonus episodes of the podcast, uh, which get released through the Patreon page. So please have a look at the show notes for information about how to get access to those bonus episodes. So that's all we have to say today. I hope you Um, appreciated the way we did things a bit differently today by comparing it with other parallel versions in the other Gospels to see what what can be gleaned from the scene that way. And that's an important thing to do as far as possible. When you're trying to understand a Gospel text in the Synoptic Gospels, it's worth comparing it to the same scene in the other Synoptic Gospels to see if there's some additional information in there that might help you understand what is really going on in the scene. Thank you so much again for listening. Please share the episode around and we'll continue to look at the Gospels in the coming days.